Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace be upon you and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. This week we'll be focusing on attaining socio-political peace. What if there was one change that you could make that would help achieve equality in Britain? What would it be? In this week's episode of Pathway to Peace, we take a look at inequality across the board in 21st century Britain, whether that be in politics, education, the criminal justice system, or even business. The current government was elected on a pledge to address regional inequality and to, in inverted commas, level up the country. Three years on, the exact definition of levelling up still remains vague and the task has been made even more challenging due to the current economic climate. That's why this week's programme is titled Equality in Britain. How can it be achieved? My name is Kaleem Anwar and I'm your host for today's programme. With me in the studio to attempt to dissect this topic and present the Islamic perspectives on the issues discussed, is fellow Pathway to Peace presenter, Anil Tahir. Um, so, a warm welcome. Assalamualaikum, Anil. Waalaikum salam. Um, an interesting topic, probably quite topical, in the sense that, and I never thought it would happen in our lifetime, there is an ethnic, well, I say ethnic minority um, in, in 10 Downing Street, um, Rish Sunak, obviously um, being sort of coronated as the, as the Prime Minister um, never <laughs> did I think that someone would be in the top spot who was uh, non-white, essentially. Yeah, it's a um, it's a kind of a landmark or historic moment, I guess, yeah. for British politics. Yeah. Um, even though it's been a bit of a uh, a merry-go-round um, in the yeah. political sphere. Yeah. Uh, in the UK, but yeah, um, interesting times. So. I mean, people. This is people are. I, no, I don't think no one's sort of crying out. I find it interesting. I'll be honest. I, I find it interesting that it, it is momentous uh, a, a moment in in UK history, um, and yet I don't know. I think maybe given the the events that have been happening around the world, obviously people are very very nervous about the current economic state of the country. And, you know, homeowners are naturally sort of worried. Everyone's worried interest rates going up and obviously inflation um, and yet I didn't really hear sort of ch- calls or chants for like this is our sort of Obama moment <laughs> you know it was, it was just it was sort of just it's happened and okay alright please can we just fix the economy please there was just no one yeah I, th- I think because know? because it was such a mess it has yeah. been such a mess we've had four chancellors three yeah. prime ministers in, yeah. you know in the space of a few months yeah I think um, the, yeah. The, the thoughts or the sentiments were just yeah. We just need someone to to provide some st- stability. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that that's probably um, not had as big an impact as it had uh, as yeah. kind of the Obama <laughs> moment did. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, still, it's a it's a historic Cause moment. Because this is what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. That when it when it well, like I said, I generally never thought it would happen in my lifetime. 
but I thought whenever it does happen, yeah, we will have that moment. But yeah, it was just just done at such speed. And I think it was, what's interesting is no one even sort of challenged the fact that. Well, no, there were some kind of sections of society were challenging the fact that um, it, it felt like a coronation. It wasn't an election as such. Um, but no one really. I think people just wanted, as you said, people just wanted stability. They want stability. They wouldn't. They're like, you know what? Uh, he can work his way around a spreadsheet, you know, too. He's an intelligent guy. Um, please do what you do best and, and sort of get us out of this mess. Yeah, I mean, uh, whether he will or not and, yeah, and whether it's yeah. going to benefit the country, that that's yeah. another question. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah that, that's another question entirely. But uh, based on what happened, um, I think, like you say, people were just kind of... Yeah saying we need stability but you know there are calls for a general election um because yeah. sunak wasn't um yeah. wasn't elected he um yeah. he, he won by default after uh yeah you know um the other candidate um couldn't get 100 um yeah. mps to back her so yes um yeah so it, it it's you know the democratic process isn't really you know it's been decided yeah kind of on de- default yeah. Uh, yeah and and there are calls for a general election now yeah and let's um, let's see. Um, well, so I mean, that's just sort of just you know interesting where we are in very interesting times, um, and have been, I guess, uh, for the last six years. But um, this, I came across an article, and I have to confess, is probably what gave me sort of the inspiration for this week's episode. Um, there was an article I saw on the Guardian website. Uh, this was published on the twenty ninth of October. Um, and it was, it's called, uh, the article was titled, What One Change Would You Make to Achieve Black Equality in Britain? And and that's given the fact that I think it was recently, it's been Black History Month, so there's been a lot of information, um, some really interesting facts and things, you know, interesting programs that come on TV around this time as well, sort of educating the masses, you know, sort of around this area. And um, and this in this article, um, really interesting because it shows, it it, it gives different perspectives basically it's giving it's sort of a a panel from you know drawn upon sort of celebrities politicians you know academics each one of them giving their take their one thing that they think that you know if we we do this that could bring about um equality essentially black equality in britain now so i've gone through this this article and we're going to go through this article obviously in this episode but for me I guess it was just a case of using the points that have been mentioned um, by each of these, uh, by each of the, the sort of the panel, really, and sort of extrapolating it, or essentially just seeing how it applies across the board in terms of well, well, actually, can it just can it achieve equality? Full stop. Um, but but interestingly enough, I actually sort of as we go through each point sort of delve into so what what is the islamic perspective on that you know what's its position on on the view, on the sort of the the idea or the solution suggestion that they've given and I, it's some quite interesting sort of comparisons i feel um in in some of the in some of the sort of suggested uh, solutions that the that the panel sort of put you know put forward so with that um i'll sort of crack on with I'll, well, the, the first point really and this was on a what the heading was make our politics anti-racists so in this the the actual panel member here was actually the labor politician diane abbott and she essentially said i'll just kind of i'll read uh, the full extract but just sort of a bit of it just to sort of give 
the listenership sort of an idea of what her, her sort of her sort of suggestion is, and she says. Uh, when it comes to race equality and politics, you know, representation is only part of the equation. More importantly, it's whether the political system is prepared to acknowledge institutional racism and to do something about it. So I can see, obviously, she's obviously sort of, you know, highlighted the fact that, right, yeah, yeah fair enough. We've obviously got our first non-white prime minister. But does that actually, is that, in an, is that enough? That doesn't really, you know, it doesn't solve the problem. Um and I guess he's just kind of highlighting the fact that there are institutions that are far bigger than one person and those institutions could potentially still be racist. Yeah, and uh, another uh, kind of um, aspect of, of, of what she said was that um, kind of the politics that, I mean, we, we talked about Sunak and, um, you know, him now being the prime minister, but it's, you know, it's a symbol in one way, you know, mm, yeah. or, or it... it you know, maybe people, Asian pe- people of ethnic background, may think you know I can actually achieve that position, which yeah. is which is a good thing. Yeah. But she makes the point that um, you know he's you know it's it said that he's planning austerity two point two point zero, and that that will um, inevitably um, impact black and brown Britons harder than anyone else. Yeah. So actually, having um, uh, Kind of a, an ethnic minority uh, in that position, mm. you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will translate into, yeah. um, you know, a, a benefit in their living standards. Uh, in fact, it, it, you know, it might have the adverse um, yeah. uh, consequence. And um, so, I guess what it really boils down to is not necessarily what your ethnic background is. Yeah. It's about um, how you know your actions and what what your policies will be and how they will. Um, benefit um society and yeah. we saw um the previous chancellor he was yeah. i think he was the first black chancellor um yeah. unfortunately for him he was you know only in yeah. uh, you know uh powerful in that position for a very short space of time yeah but even if you looked look at his policies it, it almost seemed absurd that he was yeah um he was reducing taxes for everybody but then he was also reducing taxes for the very rich for the, very, for the super wealthy um yeah. and so you know there was it just seemed very unjust and the markets didn't buy any of it they, they didn't uh, see where they were going to be able to pay for that from yeah um but it again it, it wasn't really helping those people lower down yeah. um so again it, it's not really necessarily about what your uh, ethnic background is yeah it's more uh, about what your policies are and what actions you're going to take to yeah. reduce that um, no, inequality absolutely i do so I suppose coming to the point where she make where she says, essentially, you know, make our politics anti-racist and and and, and I, you know, she's I personally I think she's got a point because there has been for the last six years. Um, personally, it feels like ever since the Brexit the Brexit referendum, basically, um, that it's just it's not even about left and right anymore. Um, that's sort of been sort of really flipped on its head it's as if as if a sort of a knife has been put through you know both those things you know um maybe i don't know maybe it's become more of a i don't i wouldn't even say north and south even for from the point of view of britain but one thing does feel very apparent is just this level of um i don't know i don't I'm, the, the behaviors towards one another there just seems to be everyone's very kind of antagonistic and and, and i and dare i say suspicion um, and I think, well, even when we, it comes to, for example, just recently, the whole immigration crisis, it's this 
it's just this constant bombardment of fear, suspicion that oh no, we've, you know we've, we've got to be careful. You know, and then obviously the terminology that's being used by politicians doesn't really help. You know that we're effectively that you know we're un- we're under invasion. You know, it's this this type of language that doesn't help. And and it, yeah, it, it, interestingly, the the Home Secretary, the current Home Secretary, and the previous Home Secretary are both of ethnic backgrounds. Hmm. Um, and it seems like their policies are even more kind of uh, extreme, or their viewpoints are even more extreme um, than before. So um, again, it's it's. it's it's, it's it's interesting because they or, or their parents or you know um, would have come from um, would have come from you know uh, were migrants themselves essentially yeah. you know they yeah. they, they yes. were immigrants to this country so it's interesting that they have actually um, gone the other way on this um, and as you say it, this this um, treatment with suspicion and yeah it's just uh, it's it's created a yeah. A really um, yeah. messy situation. It has, and it, it just sort of it seems to sort of just permeate through through society. And and I've and and, I, and I, the verse I take for sort of inspiration in terms of this, you know, from from the Holy Quran, is a verse here, uh, chapter forty nine, verse thirteen, where it says, "O you who believe, avoid most of suspicions, for suspicion in some cases is a sin, and spy not nor backbite one another." Would any of you like to eat the flesh of his brother who is dead? Certainly you would loathe it. And fear God. Surely God is oft returning with compassion and is merciful. So it just, from an Islamic perspective, the Holy Quran, you know, talks, you can see quite boldly there that suspicion, you know, is in some cases is akin to a sin. It's it's something which is, you know, highly displeased. And you can see the, the bigger picture there that it, it it creates a sort of a disorder within society, um, and I feel as if that's what we're seeing now in terms of our politics, basically, and just across the board. Really, um, it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help. Yeah, no, I mean, not at all. And 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 kind of this kind of uh, almost kind of hatred is whipped up in the yeah. you know also in the media as well. Um, you the, know about a, migrants, and then um, we've seen you know the recent events in the last few days. Yeah, um, it's just uh, caused. It's harmful to society, yeah. and 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 that, that's a great um, you know a verse that you've kind of um, just quoted there. Yeah. I move on to the next point that's made in this article, and this is around um, this uh, encourage more creatives. Uh, so the point that was made there by the panel member was, I want to see in this example that they've given, I want to see more black creatives given the opportunity to create uh, in a way that is not limited um, to what could be viewed as black work. Now. And this is interesting. I think, and for me, when I read this, I think, yeah, it is, it is about the, the the sort of the, the options that sort of the chances that life gives you. And I don't know. I mean, let, let me, you know, do kind of sort of let me know if I've kind of gone for a tangent here. But it felt like, from an Islamic perspective, the notion of, for example, entrepreneurship, or you know, certainly within Islam, it's highly, highly um, sort of promoted to sort of you know, in, you know, that innovation. The sort of you know increasing productivity and um, you know the you know backing one another, um, be it financially or not, you know essentially investing in others. I mean, you know better than I, but I think that 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 sort of a very pro pro Islamic kind of viewpoint is that is that not? I mean, I'm thinking more from a, a business point of view. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, why should uh, you know why why should it be seen specifically as as um, kind of black work? You know, it should be seen as you know it should be seen as one kind of community, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe I'm going slightly off tangent no, no, as well. Yeah, but yeah. with yeah, I, interestingly, I saw some uh, uh, a podcast uh, CEO. Yeah. A diary of a CEO with uh, Steve Bartlett. Yeah, and he actually interviewed Dame Dash, right? So right. slightly, yeah, um, off topic, yeah. but um, he made an interesting point. Yeah, that he, when he does his work, it, yeah. he doesn't want it to be seen as just literally this black work. He wants to have people from all different cultures yeah. and all you know societies working for him and yeah. with him. Yeah, um, and I thought that was quite an interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting way of uh, looking at it um he was like i'm not doing it just for black people I, I want to kind of almost i think he used the word take over the whole world but yeah. i think the point he was trying to make was you know bring everyone together and not just be seen like we're just you know focusing on yeah, this community we need yeah. to move forward yeah i mean and i think this is the beauty i think within islam that it's not people i think people have this sort of notion that islam is very much this sort of cultural baggage there but that's not the case at all if anything islam sort of encompasses or embraces rather sort of all cultures um, that as long as there's nothing that sort of is untoward or sort of goes against the principles is laid out within Islam essentially there's no sort of negativity um, it's it sort of rather sort of it it, 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 it embraces that um, and I think it almost as, as, as a result of that it sort of unifies sort of society um, I just thought I was just thinking more from a I guess an Islamic finance point of view um, from, from sort of my very limited understanding, but there's very much, you know, the principles within Islam is that you know money should always be sort of in circulation, uh, and and where people, for example, I think the the um, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of the way um, sort of investors sort of operate in this in this sort of the Western sort of capitalist system is they would sort of put money behind, you know, they'll, they'll fund a sort of a project or an initiative, but if it goes wrong the investor still needs to be paid. Whereas an Islamic point of view, from my understanding, is whoever invests, they'll take the they'll you know, they'll benefit from from the highs, but they'll also need to kind of come on board with the risks as well. So it's a lot more fairer. And I think the example that for example uh, that I've been told about is for example banks, you know, during during the sort of two thousand eight sort of collapse, this term of the banks were too big to fail. Um and so that sort of there's no sort of room for that within a sort of Islamic banking model uh, and I just feel it, you know in this case it feels a lot more fairer that it's 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 encouraged that people should um, sort of you know where they see a good opportunity they should sort of you know, you know back that um, um, because it sort of it just helps people would sort of start to kind of make that sort of money flow within across society and it's not sort of you know hoarded um, by, by, by a select few um, sort of the the next point within the article then is around uh, treating children um, as children and not suspects. So, sort of the panel member mentioned here, so they've witnessed firsthand the disruptive and dis disturbing impact of heavy-handed policing, um, and they've mentioned out here from black children what it is like to be routinely treated as suspects by teachers uh, or police officers, and. Um, and I think I, I don't know about you. I think I mean this. This may not even come as a surprise to us, actually. I'm, I'm thinking, like I said, more across the board, not just necessarily black children, but ethnic minorities in general. 
depending on maybe certain certain parts of, of the country, maybe people have sort of felt this. Um, but I think for me, where you know there was a, a, a an interesting verse here. Uh, well, sorry, not a verse, an actual saying of the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of God be upon him, the the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad. There was a a very profound uh, hadith or saying, as it's known, where he says, you know, respect your children and cultivate in them the best of manners. Uh, but I find that quite amazing where respect your children was mentioned first sort of that is sort of laying the foundation um because it's very quick for us even as adults where we could be quite we can be quite short you know with children and you know sort of be quite stern with them maybe maybe even at the smallest of things um but the fact that at the at the, the the beginning part of this very very profound saying is respect your children and the second part is and cultivate in them the best of manners um and you know, manners, good manners go a good way. That has a ripple effect across society. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, like that, almost like the saying, like respect begets respect, right? Yeah. So you know, you need yeah. to respect somebody yeah. in order to get that respect, uh, respect back. And it, uh, same, same with children. Yeah. Uh, and also, also, it goes back to you know the original point that you were making, yeah. uh, or the original point that this panelist was making yeah. um, about treating children as children, not suspects. It, it comes back to that. You know the suspicion, yeah, and and not you know, you know, not being suspicious of people, yeah. and, uh, and that that um, that philosophy. So yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. Um, very good point. Um, in terms of sort of the commentary behind this saying, um, there's a, a very a very well known book called uh, the Forty Gems of Beauty, and this is where I've actually taken this particular saying uh, from from the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Um, and the, the the author of this book uh, has given his own analysis. Uh, the author being, uh, his name is Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed, um, was actually the son uh, of the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. And he writes, uh, in relation to this uh, very profound saying, he says, Islam has defined the rights of parents over children and vice versa. On the one hand, it emphasizes service and respectful behavior to parents. And on the other commands parents to treat their children with due understanding and regard and to handle them in such a way as engenders in them feelings of dignity and self-respect and to attend to their education and training in particular so that when they grow they may observe with due propriety their duties to God and to his servants and become pioneers of national progress. So that just shows the wisdom you know, packed within that one saying of respecting the children and kind of you know imparting you know within them sort of you know good manners eventually leads to sort of pioneers of of the future and and I know obviously you know it's not is is we know the saying sort of you know the, the children are the next generation so it just it's just I just I find it quite profound really that that sort of sets the the wisdom that's sort of really inherent um within within that particular saying um that sort of moves on to the, I'll move on to the to the next point, and um, this is around um, sort of science and academia, and so so the panel member here says an end to uh, an end to what they've called sort of a race science, where race science is an enduring and sort of uh, pernicious myth at the heart of medicine that must be confronted. So the idea that black people suffer from defective biology, feeding much of the racism we experience, the myth that our skin color makes us intellectually inferior and that those who do succeed academically are a rare breed, 
the notion that black people are better suited to physical jobs, despite proven, uh, proven evidence that environmental factors influence our social outcomes. Um, and this, uh, once again, yeah, I think across the board, it's, um, yeah, I think we've all sort of seen that as a sort of a, a growing up, you know, for, for sort of the education system. And I guess, yeah, right through from work, we've all seen sort of people maybe have sort of risen to the top, sort of the, those promotions that happen at work. You know, I, I don't. It, it could be sort of it may affect certain more regions uh, more than others across the UK, but I think it's it's something which it certainly does exist. All the all the uh, coming back to the beginning of the program, obviously the prime minister being that certainly has sort of broken through that glass ceiling, as they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just come back to this point about this you know pernicious race science. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting point actually because um, even in the, in the South Asian community, you, you know, you hear this. Um, fact that you know they have high rates of uh, type 2 diabetes yeah um, heart disease etc but interestingly I, I saw a, a, an article recently yeah um, which actually talked about the fact that um, this could have actually been uh, to do with the um, to do with colonization and, and the famines that were actually yeah. um, induced at the time in in British India Right, um, and that's still weighing on um, future generations, uh, and so it's not necessarily that people of that part of the world are susceptible to um, diabetes and and these other dise- uh, you know diseases and illnesses. Yeah, it's actually because they were starved. Yeah. Um, so it's a you know it's very interesting, and and you know coming back to um, one of the other points was was about um, you know teaching. Uh, history in, in yeah. uh, curriculum and uh, education. Yeah. History is an interesting word because you split into two, it's his story. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's the way, you know, it, they say the victor is the person that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. gets their their this point of view across yeah. and that, that becomes fact. Their view, but, their, view, their but, perspective yeah, on the history. Exactly, but, yeah. you know, the more we see that it's not necessarily fact and there's a, there's a lot the more to it. Fantastic point. That sort of, that leads me to sort of the, the 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 hadith or the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that comes to mind in this regard. Uh, and for me, I've always found it to be a, a really, a really sort of insightful saying. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the, the, the sort of the quotation where it says, it was narrated by a companion, uh, Hazrat Abu Huraira, uh, may God be pleased with him, uh, narrates that he heard the Prophet of God, may the peace and blessings of God be upon him, say, when a man declares about certain people that they are doomed, it is he who consigns them to their doom, um, or, or, or he is the one who is do- who is the most doomed among them. This this notion here is essentially when you've sort of kind of written off a group of people, it creates this notion of sort of an inferiority complex, essentially, um, which, I, I mean, we could a show could be sort of dedicated to this in its own right, and I think that almost is in some ways almost the. Uh, the seed for what is why why people feel as if they can't rise above their rank or you know their place um because there's this notion of this or inferiority complex that they have because society or others around them maybe in the workplace school wherever they've well as it says as it says in this saying that you know when a man declares about certain people that they are doomed it is the one who said it is he who consigns them to the doom he you know it's he's that it almost becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy where 
you know, if you're constantly being told that you're not able to achieve, you know, it's just it's not your place and you should stay in your place. It sort of create for some, um, and I, I personally, my view is that I, you know, I've seen it happen where it's sort of a whole generation, um, a whole group of people are sort of kept back, um, and 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 there, are, but there are some people that who sort of who rise above it and who are except exceptionally confident. And I've seen people like that who sort of who 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 believe no, I'm I'm not going to fulfill those sort of those labels that people have put upon me. But it's very hard to break those shackles. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're right. It creates a certain kind of mindset. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but th- those that you know um, have become the most successful yeah. um, from you know ethnic minorities or, or um, uh, the black community, um, they have actually said no. We're we're not going to you know um, abide by this mindset, and yeah. we, you know we 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 can get get through this. And I think things like having you know, uh, someone of ethnic background in the you know in the prime minister role yeah. and, and and other roles like that yeah. certainly does it goes does, a big does, way. does help to yeah. uh, you know l- make people aspire to to do yeah. something like that uh, yeah. or that they can or believe that they can do that for sure. Um, but as we said before, that also comes with responsibility and and yes. and, and you know. Um, that position yeah. especially needs to be uh, well, th- used well, see, correctly. You, you raise a good point, actually, because then that actually, see, sometimes there's this notion of, okay, so someone who's non-white has sort of made it to the high office, and so almost is like a there's like a I don't know, I'm not sure how to explain it, but almost like a double um, sort of expectation or you know almost like double pressure that oh no he he, he better not mess up, whereas that level of expectation maybe on others is not as much. You know, I mean, I'm, maybe I mean I've seen in the workplace essentially where there's sort of more pressure placed upon um, other others, whereas um, other certain other people are sort of they're, they're sort of let off if they've made a mistake, and that sort of reinforces, I think, that notion of that inferiority complex because I think when they've sort of when you know when when they've done wrong, they they really feel it. The commentary on this particular saying, um, taken from this book, the Forty Gems of Beauty, the commentator writes. This hadith or saying is based on a great psychological fact which is described in modern terminology as an inferiority, inferiority complex or the defeatist mentality. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of God be upon him, says that an attempt should be made to raise the morale of the, of the people by creating hope, faith, self-reliance and self-respect in them instead of dragging them down the pit of degradation through despair, frustration inferiority complex and a defeatist mentality um and i think that's sublime you know that just really once again it sort of sort of links back to the the other saying really about how you know in terms of instilling within the children you know respect your children cultivate them good manners you see a similar theme here that within islam it there's this there's this there's more emphasis placed on that sort of hope that pessimism um, uh, you know optimism um and really you know aspiring towards sort of you know you know the good things you know aspire towards greatness essentially don't be sort of confined yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think that um you know that positivity and 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 kind of positive messaging yes um is very important yeah um and especially in the media uh, i think that that is, is crucial yes um so yeah that that positive messaging is is very important to to provide that you know optimism and hope yeah um that you can improve your you know situation yeah uh, and you can strive to you know to the top yeah 
Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to break to um, actually go over to a short break, um, but join us in part two, where we'll be carrying on looking at various suggestions or solutions that people have put forward as to how equality can be brought about in modern day Britain. So stay tuned and join us after the break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Salat, prayer, and istighfar, seeking forgiveness, are excellent remedies for apathy and indifference. One should supplicate in Salat, O Allah, alienate me from my sins. If a person continues to pray sincerely, it is certain that his prayer would be answered sometime. It is not good to be in a hurry. A farmer does not harvest the crop immediately after sowing. One who is impatient is unfortunate. The sign of a pious one is that he is not impatient. Lack of patience has resulted in many a known case of failure. If a person digs a well to the depth of 20 arms length and stops short of just one due to his impatience, he would waste his entire labor. Were he to dig the remaining arm length with patience, he would achieve his purpose. It is the way of God Almighty that he bestows the blessings of love, eagerness, and understanding after sufferings. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. The real purpose of all the external and internal limbs and faculties that has been bestowed on man is understanding and worship and love of God. That is why, despite a thousand occupations, man does not find his true well-being except in God Almighty. Having acquired great wealth or achieved high office or having become a great merchant or having acquired governing authority or become a great philosopher, he departs in the end from these worldly involvements with a sense of frustration. His heart rebukes him all the time about his deep concern with the world and his conscience never approves his wiles and deceits and wrongful actions. When he takes stock of man's faculties and powers to discover his highest capacity, we find that he is invested with the faculty of seeking after God so much that he desires that he should become so devoted to God's love that he should have nothing of his own and that everything should become God's. He shares his natural needs like food and drink and rest. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace be upon you. Welcome back to the Pathway to Peace show. Um, you're joining the second half of the show where we're actually looking on this week's episode, we're looking at addressing inequality in Britain. And what solutions are there to bring about a more just and fairer society? Uh, you're listening to Kaliman and Anil Tahir. So, Anil, obviously, we were going through this uh, this Guardian uh, article where there's sort of a, a group of people have come forward various from various sectors of society, politicians, celebrities, academics, and they've tried to sort of put forward their views to what one thing 
it you know could have a sort of a, a major impact in in addressing inequality in Britain. The the I guess one of the points that I've um, picked from here also is they've someone has said to make Britain's buildings reflect our diverse communities, and and I'll, I'll be honest, I actually think um, I actually think Britain does this quite well at the moment. Um, you know, obviously where we're broadcasting at the moment from beautiful place, the Bethnal Mosque here in South London, um, Western largest West Western Europe largest mosque. And um, but it's not just it's not just buildings such as this. I, I actually think uh, I think I think there are actually quite a, a diverse range of um, of uh, buildings across the UK. Is that fair yeah? To say no, I, I agree with that. Actually, um, I'm not I'm not actually quite sure how we could um, yeah, improve upon yeah. that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's always you know you can always improve, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're yeah. quite good at that. Um, I, I, I suppose in some areas um, where I mean, she. Met, I, th- yeah. I, th- I think the the person yeah. here mentioned street yeah. names. Um, oh, oh, that's a good that's point. A, so yeah, that's probably quite harder to change. <laughs> yeah. that's a good yeah. point because you're right. We, you know, we, you hear in other parts, like, for example, you know, um, uh, uh, countries such as Canada. You hear, for example, the the community, the Amni Muslim community, has sort of, you know, almost like various blocks of you know, areas. Uh, Peace Village, for example, is a famous place. Um, yeah, we don't quite have that reach here, I guess. We don't have that the ability to sort of convince the sort of planners or the, the local yeah. planning authority, like, oh, can we kind of? Well, I've, I've no idea how a, yeah, a, a road a road is named or who decides that. Yeah, but, um, yeah. That's, that's a, actually you're right. I never. Yes, I think you've got a point there. I mean, I'm not sure if you if you're aware, but I have. I actually no, I'm not aware of how that's uh, no. yeah. that comes about. But yeah, that's an interesting uh, suggestion, actually. And, and I think you're right. It it, will, it probably would do. It would do a lot to. Once again, it comes down to the fact that you know, once if people are seeing sort of their sort of terminology that other communities are using, and they're seeing that sort of used across the board, um, it makes them feel that okay, we're accepted. Um, and once again, I think it just comes back to this Islamic principle that there's no such you know, there's no one unique culture that, for example, Islam sort of promotes it, sort of accepting of all faiths, as long as there's no sort of contradiction within the belief itself. So that certainly would be, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I stand corrected on that. It's all well and good to have certain buildings kind of dotted around the country, but um, maybe it'll be, you know, some, some real change would also help, yeah, in the fact that we sort of go about renaming. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting suge- suggestion whether it or whether or not it will yeah. actually um, yeah. kind of reduce that that inequality or not remains to be seen. But yeah. um, might, yeah, br- it's, it's, might bring about more acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the next principle is more around um, criminal justice. Uh, so, or, or actually, so, or, or rather, sort of just institutions in general, actually. So they say black communities are on the receiving end of the worst discrimination in many, in many areas of society, uh, but we are not a monolith. Uh, and the panel member says, my one change would be to see a multifaceted approach to black equality with solutions as complex as we are. Solutions don't work in silos uh, or ask us uh, to assimilate. Solutions that radically transform and reconfigure institutions. So I think when I saw this particular um, sort of view or suggestion, it made me think about, I suppose, the way in which society is go- is run, is governed. And I mean, if you take the sort of the, the race element out, uh, although it's, I know it's hard to do, for example, you know, this is the way, sort of the way society has sort of been constructed here. But 
there's a, there's a, there's a particular saying uh, of the Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of God be upon him, where he says, um, "Each one of you is a ruler and will be answerable in respect of your subjects." Now, this I've, I've kind of raised this where I think this is fantastic. This just shows when you take the sort of if, when you take the race sort of element out of this, take race out, take class out, you know, take all these sort of variables out. The fact of the matter is that from an Islamic perspective, there's this notion, okay, which within Islam, this term called taqwa, for example, you know, you fear, I guess it's sort of, it translates to sort of fear of God, or, or I'd say it's more deeper than that. It's kind of fear, fear of the loss of the love of God, you know, um, in everything, in every action that you do, it's, it's, it's knowing that if I do this act, that will I displease the one you know, who's, who has you know, very graciously put me here on this planet. And so this saying, each one of you is a ruler and will be answerable in respect of your subjects, I think actually if people sort of apply this approach to their sort of politics, their, you know, the way um, you know, parties are run, the way institutions are run, um, the way jobs are sort of offered, and things, you know, there's this level of accountability. It's interesting you mentioned the the, the jobs aspect because yeah. uh, a lot of um, companies now have kind of targets or, or you know yeah. where they um, have kind of uh, maybe X percent uh, yeah. of um, senior positions should go to yeah. um, someone of a ethnic mi- minority and yeah. uh, X percent um, should be um, female etc. So they have these targets now, yeah. um, and. I suppose there's there's two sides to this, right? On, yeah. on the one hand, you could say, you know, this is a good thing because, um, you know, you're promoting, you know, people of other backgrounds and, um, you know, giving them an opportunity. Yeah. Whereas on the other hand, you know, there's this argument, well, you should just pick the person who's who's yeah. best for the job. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of trying to find the balance. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other panelists mentioned. Um, uh, mentioned or gave the example of the uh, kind of football industry yeah. where football managers yeah. um, there are very very few uh, if any um, black football managers yeah. uh, but if you look at the number of uh, black footballers there are yeah. in, in the Premier League for example yeah. you know you know, there's there's loads of black footballers but yeah. um, the black managers or, yeah. you know do not get kind of the same the kind of chance yeah. so um, I suppose it, it it, it would vary from industry to industry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a it, it's a bit of a, a, yeah. t- a balancing act to try and yeah. yeah you know, should you have these quotas in place or you know yeah. you know I, I think the the intention is 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 good. Yeah. Um, but then there's all, always that argument. Well, you should just pick the best person. Yeah. Um, so. And I and and yeah and I, I yeah I hear that and I just and I feel as if. I guess from an Islamic perspective, it's about whatever you do, whoever you choose, it's with done with the best of intentions, with the highest level of integrity. Um, because yeah, I mean, because you're right. I think uh, you're right that, that that positive discrimination sort of actually forms sometimes forms part of the antagonism within. So that, that people sort of the, there's another section of society starts to get a bit well, and then we start seeing this this friction. Yeah. Um, there's got to be a, there's got to uh, you know fine there's got to be a fairer way, um, but at the same time the the thoughts of everyone needs to be sort of you know kept in mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, in fact, I think we may have mentioned this once before, but um, in terms of, you know, there's this uh, idea that CVs should just uh, yes. shouldn't include names on there too. Yeah. Um, so you know, so you're just looking at the you know the candidates' uh, profiles without having any bias towards yeah. their background or you know where they you know what the what they might be. Yeah. Um, and so that 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 was something that had been talked about for a while yeah. um, because. Uh, I think some studies or sort of some kind of research people people have tried to you know research this and yeah. uh, and and they've found that um ethnic mi- minorities disproportionately yeah. um do not get selected when yeah. you know um just just based on the the CV but if they've changed their name yeah yeah um it's true. then it uh, you know has has proved uh, beneficial for them so yeah. um th- th- there is that that bias there yeah and I think, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, and that's just it, isn't it? That's the crux of this, where the hiring manager needs to sort of the decision that he or she makes has to be done with the utmost integrity. The, you know, the, the right, the right person, you know, for 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 the job, really. But but yeah. I, I mean, just going back to that, you you said you know uh, about the intention, mm. um, and, and that that's right. I think the the intention is good, but you just got to be careful of the unintended consequences. Yeah. Um, where you know. You yeah. might you you might not be selecting the best person. Yeah. Um. So, it, it, yeah. You know, it could be deemed to be unfair as well. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I think it, in different industries there'll be kind of um, different. Um. Like I mean, in the Premier Premier League, for example, football, man, football managers yeah. are, are um, disproportionately yeah. white. Um. And and uh, there are very few. Yeah. Um, black football managers, but in other industries, you know, it might might not be the case, and there might be a m- much higher yeah. uh, representation of uh, other yeah. communities. I was just going to end with this point where the, the sort of the, the common the commentary on this particular saying uh, writes that the the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of God be upon him, says in this sort of in his particular saying has alerted the fact that everyone, uh, whichever section of society one may belong to. Um, is in one respect or another a ruler and should therefore be required to answer about one's obligations in this behalf. So it's just kind of highlighting the fact that whatever decisions that we all make, um, you know, they should sort of do so, sort of knowing full well that there's a, a higher being that's sort of over that's that's seeing that what you're doing and, and what actions you're, you're carrying out and the sort of unintended consequences that may follow from that. The The next point then taken from this article around addressing uh, inequality is confront the the rule Britannia image of Britishness and the commented uh, the actual the panel member here writes after 58 years of struggle in this country uh, taking into account uh, where this person writes taking into account my experience of how race uh, racism is cynically exploited by the state and its institutions I believe much flows from the failure of Britain to acknowledge the need for repair um, so I mean, obviously, it's. Uh, I mean, it's the nature of. Um, it, there's there has been this image, I guess, of the empire, and obviously, you know, under sort of you know the turn of the century, well, last century rather, almost like two thirds of sort of the globe, sort of under, under the sort of British rule. So there is this sort of, well, I would say in some cases maybe a sort of an overinflated superiority complex, maybe that 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 sort of the, that the Britain had. Um, but I think what was I think what's interesting is that there's a particular hadith, a saying of the Holy Prophet in this regard, where when it comes to sort of dealing with one another, nation states, you know, leaders, you know, between leaders, you know, 
I agree that you know we shouldn't have this sort of this. No one should have this sort of pompous sort of attitude. You know that we're not greater than than, than the next person, and so this saying uh, of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of God be upon him says that when a respectable person of a people pays you a visit, show him due respect. And it just shows, I mean, that principle, I guess, even if applied now in terms of our international politics would go a long way. But it just shows the sort of the dealings between sort of leaders. Um, confidence is one thing, but I think when you're sort of bordering on the arrogance, that doesn't doesn't do any favours, does it? Yeah, uh, and I think the um, the panellist that you're referring to here is Professor Gus John, actually. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, he mentioned uh, in this, uh, this point yeah. um, is that... Um, you know, at the centre of the policy agenda, yeah. you, you know, they need to right racial wrongs. Yeah. Um, and so, coming back to the point, he, he says no number of black faces in any cabinet, whatever the party, um, will change that. So, you know, it comes back to our uh, original point that we were making. Yeah. Um, you know, you can have um, ethnic minorities or, you know, people from diverse communities yeah. in those positions. But, uh, you know, he's making the point here that you need to right the racial wrongs um, and, you know, this inferiority complex that we, we were discussing earlier. Yeah. You know, these need to be kind of acknowledged. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, I was just looking at the statistics um, yeah. of ethnic minorities uh, in Parliament. Yeah. I was thinking about Rishi Sunak became yeah. PM and then, you know, Priti Patel and uh, Swella Braverman. Yeah. yeah. And you got Sajid Javid, which is quite quite it's, a few. And I yeah, thought, well, yeah. what's the actual percentage? And um, yeah. as of the t- 2019 general election, there were 65 um, uh, MPs of right. ethnic um, ethnic minority background. Okay, um, is, this, we, is, is this across all parties? Yeah, is, okay. across all parties. Right. So, um, which is about 10 percent of of Parliament, which okay. is kind of it was coming back to our point about you yeah. know having. I mean, there, there isn't a kind of. A, a target that, that the yeah. government has, or, yeah. or you know, or you know, anything in legislation, but yeah. this just kind of a yeah. pro- it probably represents the the communities that people are from, you know, yeah. uh, so that yeah. that probably play yeah. play a part in it. But I thought it was interesting because um, in um, you know the twenty nineteen election yeah. was, uh, was sixty five, but if you go back to nineteen ninety two, there are only six. Wow! So. It, it, six MPs. Six MPs out of six hundred and fifty-two, I think, wow, uh, is that. the total yeah. number. Yeah. Um, so that that has increased, you know, yeah. quite a bit. I, I don't know again if that has wow. um, is due to the changing face of of, of Britain and yeah. Britain and you know, um, and that's in proportion to to yeah. the number of ethnic yeah. minorities. But yeah. um, you know, out of the sixty-five, forty-one are from Labour and twenty-two are Conservatives. Okay, yeah. and then there's a couple of uh, Lib- Liberal Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting that's, that's uh, an statistic. Interesting yeah, it is. There's a, that's a massive jump actually. Um, so it does. I guess it does show how sort of times have changed um, in, in the right direction. Um, and I guess coming back, well, coming back to this particular here saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, we're sort of you know dealing with one another. Dealing with the leaders of, of, of other of other parties, other groups, other nations in a respectful tone, the, the effect it can have, the ripple effect, I guess. The commentator, the commentary on this particular saying, uh, the commentator writes, the most effective means of promoting wholesome relations between countries and nations and parties lies in respecting and honouring leaders and dignitaries of one another. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, has been very emphatic to the Muslims in this behalf. This hadith is one of the many having a bearing on this golden principle. 
differences are bound to arise among nations and countries as they do among individuals. In order to mitigate their bitterness, decent treatment of one another is the most effective remedy. A respectful attitude towards the leaders of one another exercises considerable influence in this behalf. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned before, this would go a long way, I think, when it comes to dealing with sort of the political sort of situation around the world that we see today. The last point then um, is an interesting one, actually. This is actually the, the article itself starts with this, and this is by the, by the, the comedian Lenny Henry. And he says, we need radical empathy, not racial sympathy. And I'll quote what he says. He says, we must get past simple racial sympathy, just feeling sorry for the victims of racism and move towards radical empathy, putting yourself in the shoes of someone who isn't like you and trying to experience what they are going through is perhaps the answer to this age-old question. Um, and that's a, yeah, that's a really, really kind of deep, um, deep words there. Um, it, it is true. I think it's this sort of this victim sort of attitude. I don't, I, once again, I think it plays into this sort of inferiority complex. I think, I think that... Yeah, I, I don't think people um, like other people to feel... yeah sympathy for them uh, I think that's a very good point to have empathy and, and to try and understand where they're coming from yeah um, rather than just just this uh, notion of sympathy and yeah um, you know because uh, it like I said it doesn't um, doesn't help that inferior inferiority complex yeah exactly. uh, in fact it probably yeah um, you know exacerbates it yeah and I think when I and I read his his words it, it reminded me of a of a of a a, a sublime verse of the Holy Quran it comes from chapter 16 verse 91 verily God enjoins justice and the doing of good to others and giving like the kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression he admonishes you that you may take heed and this I think a show could be done on just this particular verse because the sort of the meanings behind this there are almost three levels of, of a hierarchy if you will of, of, of sort of, of, of doing good and the first sort of the the basic step is enjoy, you know join justice you know do you know just repaying someone in, in equal in equal kindness the next lower level after that is actually going you know sort of beyond beyond that sort of repaying them with kindness and sort of this this next level and giving like the kindred is almost like a parent who sort of does this goodness out of sort of a it's become an ingrained behaviour, um, and it's not. They're not asking for anything in return. Almost as if, as if a mother sort of behaves towards their child. I think that is sort of the philosophy that that if we sort of imbibe that within society, um, would go a, a very very long way. Um, only for time reasons, I'm afraid. Um, we'll have to bring this episode to a close. But before we do, here is an audio clip of His Holiness Hazrat Mizan Rasul Ahmed, the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community in which he seeks to explain the golden principle as taught, practiced and personified by the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet. Peace and blessings of God be upon him. The principle given by Islam's Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, is that a person should be open-hearted and pure of mind. Instead of desiring only the best of him, for himself, a person should desire the same for others as well. Sadly, in today's world, we tend to see the opposite. Modern society is consumed by self-interest and, and greed. Disorder, conflict and warfare are on the rise and the principles of equity, 
and justice are being consistently discarded. This is illustrated by the foreign policies of many powerful and rich countries. It has been a constant theme of modern history that dominant powers have sent their armies to distant uh, lands on the, on the pretext of establishing peace, but time has proven that their real objective has been to protect and enhance their vested interests. During such conflicts, if just one of their soldiers dies, there's an outpouring of grief and the pledge to take revenge. Yet, when their bombs or munitions cause the death of hundreds or even thousands of innocent civilians, including defenseless women and children, they remain silent and do not express any hint of regret or remorse. The, consequence, uh, the consequences of such justice, uh, injustice are extremely damaging and far-reaching. The local people <coughs> see that their lives are deemed to be of far less worth and value than the lives of those who are from powerful nations. As they deserve the stark double standards and the lack of humanity, they become overcome by frustration, anger, and resentment, and their emotions threaten to boil over at any time. The peace and security of such nations lie in ruins, but the rest of the world would be foolish to think that they will not be affected. Rather, the world is now so interconnected that the uh, ramifications of hostilities in one part of the world <coughs> are bound to uh, spread beyond borders. And we have seen many examples of this in recent years. <coughs> Hence, if we genuinely desire peace, whether in our personal lives or at a collective level, the pivotal point is that we should like for others what we like for ourselves. As I said before, the simple principle is the foundation for true peace in the world. <clears throat> in terms of religion, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, taught that developing true peace requires for mankind to turn towards God Almighty, who is the source of peace, the noble <coughs> and <coughs> the pure, and to try to emulate his attributes. This means that human beings should set aside their personal interests in the pursuit of peace and ensure that their motivations are pure at all times. Certainly, much of the deviation prevalent in the world today is because the underlying intentions of the parties involved are not innocent or honest. There are clear contradictions between their words and deeds, and there can never be peace if there is disharmony between what a person says and what he does. 
That's it for this week's edition of Pathway to Peace with Anil Tahir and Kaleem Anwar. You can comment on today's programme through Twitter by tweeting at Voice of Islam UK using the hashtag VOIPeace. Assalamu alaikum.